You're listening to Poetry Centered, the podcast that highlights recorded poetry readings from VOCA, the audiovisual archive of the University of Arizona Poetry Center. Each episode is hosted by a contemporary poet who curates and introduces selections from the archive. I'm Julie Swarstad Johnson, here to welcome you to the show. Our host today is Bojan Lewis, a poet, essayist, fiction writer, and professor of creative writing and American Indian studies here at the University of Arizona. A member of the Navajo Nation, Bojan is the author of the poetry collection Currents and the nonfiction chapbook Troubleshooting Silence in Arizona. In this episode, Bojan reflects on the ways that poems can listen, can bear witness, and can map possible futures. He looks at this through the work of Alan Dugan, Laylee Long Soldier, and Angel Nafiz. Bojan, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. My name is Bojan Lewis, and I'm recording from Tucson, Arizona. The first poem I'd like to talk about is Love Song I and Thou by Alan Dugan from his first collection, Poems, published in 1961. The reading was recorded on December 8, 1966. My first encounter with Dugan's work occurred during my undergraduate studies in a graduate poetry seminar that I was allowed to enroll in thanks to poet Jim Sermon. I read Monardus heavily and had a little footing with contemporary poetry. Dugan's work isn't concerned with adornment or transcendency. It confronts reality head-on, seeking out a moment's truth. Before focusing on my apprenticeship or becoming an electrician, I had designs on being a framer. So the language and metaphors of work sparked my interest. The first line of the poem struck me instantly and still does. Nothing is plumb, level, or square. What follows is an unfolding of image of a house being poorly framed with rage as a driving force. In the recording, Dugan mentions that he didn't start writing love poems until after he was married. A man can be heard saying, oh boy, in the audience, which feels dated and erroneous to me. What I admire and what resonates with me now is that the work of marriage, the choosing a life partner, is work all its own. It's a beautifully hard struggle of understanding, pain, heartbreaks, patience, and continual troubleshooting. The straightforward, working-class voice and timbre of this poem showed me that one could write about work, love, and life without adornment and be blasphemously humorous. So here is Alan Dugan reading Love Song, I and Thou. I'll conclude by uh, reciting some love songs. Uh, I never think of myself as a love poet because when I was writing as a Young man, all my love poems turned out to be absolute slush, so I threw them all away. And uh, by the time I started to write them, I was long married, so most of these are about marriage. (laughs) This one is called uh, Love Song, I Am Thou. Nothing is plumb, level, or square. The studs are bowed, the joists are shaky by nature. No piece fits any other piece without a gap or pinch, and bent nails dance all over the surfacing like maggots. 
By Christ I am no carpenter. I built the roof for myself, the walls for myself, the floors for myself, and got hung up in it myself. I danced with a purple thumb at this house warming, drunk with my prime whiskey, rage. Oh, I spat rage's nails into the frame-up of my work. It held. It settled plumb, level, solid, square, and true for that great moment. Then it screamed and went on through, skewing as wrong the other way. God damned it. This is hell. But I planned it. I sought it. I nailed it. And I will live in it until it kills me. I can nail my left palm to the left-hand cross piece, but I can't do everything myself. I need a hand to nail the right, a help, a love, a you, a wife. My second selection is Laylee Long Soldier's poem, Whereas Her Birth Signaled recorded November 2nd, 2017. I chose this poem after listening to Long Soldier address a question posed to her by an interviewer about the process of writing about her daughter and the poet's concern about seeming too obsessed or lacking in material, though Long Soldier need not worry about those things, I think. In my own writing, I tend to write about the present and past simultaneously with a vague notion about or a future. And having recently become a new parent, I wonder how and when and if I'll write about my daughter. She's appeared, so to speak, in two pieces I've written this past year and nothing else. Everything else taking or maintaining their own trajectories and narratives, their own poetics. Perhaps the writing about my daughter will come later, Long Soldier's poem is woven quite beautifully in pieces of imagery, witness, documentary, theory, linguistics, and indigenous ways of being. Two moments that shake me are, would I teach her to be pieces? And I watched her be in multiple musics. As the poet considers her daughter's heritage of two indigenous dialects, Lakota and Denebizad, alongside colonial English. These concerns of motherhood and the ushering in of a future that has and will survive through adaptation and incorporation, the mosaics a child can be of their parents intrigue me, while also providing a map of the possibility to harness and experience the reacquisition of an indigenous dialect, an indigenous future. The lyrical and prosaic form that the poem takes allows Long Soldier to layer moments of personal reflection with those of Jacques Derrida and his own mother after she suffers a stroke. Long Soldier shows us and enacts the future in the teaching of language and motion rather than in, as she writes, statistics in this dying. Here is Laylee Long Soldier reading Whereas Her Birth Signaled.
I had someone sort of, an interviewer kind of ask me, probe me a little bit about why I write so much about my daughter. And I felt really embarrassed because I already knew I write about her quite a, you know, she, she appears in quite a few of my um, pieces. Um, so, you know, I was embarrassed because I didn't want to seem completely obsessed with her or maybe lacking material to work with. <laughs> but I will say that also uh, in this work, um, particularly, she uh, in a way represents or symbolizes the next generation, you know, our young people and uh, their, the responsibility that we have to them. So this is a little bit, another piece that she appears in. Whereas her birth signaled the responsibility as mother to teach what it is to be Lakota, therein the question, what did I know about being Lakota? Signal panic, blood rush, my embarrassment. What did I know of our language but pieces? Would I teach her to be pieces? Until a friend com comforted, don't worry, you and your daughter will learn together. Today she stood, sunlight on her shoulders, lean and straight, to share a song in Diné, her father's language. To sing, she motions simultaneously with her hands. I watch her be in multiple musics. At a ceremony to honor the Diné Nation's first poet laureate, a speaker explains that each people has been given their own language to reach with. I understand reaching as active, a motion. He offers a prayer and introduction in heritage language. I listen as I reach my eyes into my hands, my hands onto my lap, my lap as a quiet page. I hold my daughter in. I rock her back, forward, to the rise of other conversations about mother tongues versus foster languages, belonging. I connect the dots. I rock in time with references to a philosopher. This is actually Derrida but I didn't write that. Um, <clears throat> a master language thinker who thought of his mother too. Mother to child and child to mother relationships. But as this philosopher's mother suffered the ill effects of a stroke, he wrote, unquote, I asked her if she was in pain Yes, then where, she replies to my question. I have a pain in my mother, as though she were speaking for me, both in my direction 
and in my place. His mother who spoke in his place for his pain and as herself for her own did this as one and the same. Yet, he would propose understanding the word mother by what mother is not. The difference. Forward, back, I lift my feet. My toes touch ground as I'm reminded of the linguistic impossibility of identity as if any of us can be identical ever. To whom, to what, perhaps to not. I hold my daughter in comfort saying, True, I'm never sure how to write our language on the page correctly. The written takes many forms. I don't know if any of you know Lakota, but there's like a million ways to write any given word, it seems like. Um, they're still hammering out the certain things in any case. Yet I know she understands through our motion, rocking in this country of so many languages where National surveys assert that native languages are dying. Child speakers and elder teachers dwindle. This is public information. But her father and I don't teach in statistics. In this dying, I mean. Whereas speaking itself is defiance, the closest I can come to difference. Whereas I confess, these are numbered hours spent responding to a national apology which concerns us, my family. These hours alone to think without. My hope, my daughter, understands wholeness for what it is, not for what it's not, all of it, the pieces. The final poem I'd like to include is Huzzle to Open Cages by Angel Nafis, recorded September 26, 2019. I was in the audience for this particular reading and was moved and enlightened by Nafisa's work and presence. This poem was written and commissioned by the Art for Justice series and its work addressing mass incarceration. Nafis explains wonderfully the responsibility and challenge that a poet has in writing and bearing witness while also considering one's role in speaking and listening to whom and to what and why. Nafis also says that the unpredictable nature of writing poems is not a singular process. It involves others, those hearing the poem, the poets and writers who've come before, and our ancestors and relatives. 
I was drawn to this poem because of the project and also because it is a chazal, a form that I've been exploring and writing an extended sequence of. Listening to Nafis' description of the chazal has helped me better understand the process of the form and also is another voice to include when I attempt to end fail to explain this form to my own students. Chazals are songs meant to bring together an audience, a community. The refrain asks us to, as Nafis says, consider a word and implode it to see and listen to it from multiple angles and points of view, and perhaps to exhaust and examine all possibilities. A favorite moment of mine is under a God-shucked sky, your freedom is a fragrance, even below. How? Nafisa's imagery and refrain create a building tension, and the huzzle's last line and refrain hits so hard. It is a poem that is listening, that hears us listening as well. So here is Angel Nafis reading Huzzle to Open Cages. So the first one I'm going to read is a chazal, gazal, as I say. Um, and it's like a deeply ancient um, Turkish and Persian tradition, structured form, just on some nerd shit. It's like in couplets, um, usually about five, but I truly said, fuck that, I'm doing whatever I want. Um, rhyming word. Oh, so, so same word at the end of each couplet, rhyming word before that same word. And I think the notion is sort of like, first of all, it's kind of like, it's rap. That's truly, it's just bars. It's just like Persian bars. Um, that's just what that is. But it, it's also um, a way to consider a word, which is the repeated word, and implode it. Think about what it means. Think about what it means when it looks like this. Think about what it means when it looks like that. Think about what it means when it looks like that, this, this. And turn it over a bunch of times. And um, as I was doing research and interviews with this project, talking to folks who've been incarcerated, who have family members, fathers, uh, sons, brothers, uh, lovers who've been incarcerated, um, I was like, the, the word that kept coming up was like, how? Like, how are we? I mean, they're literally kidnapping us. It's kidnap. Um, and I was like, how? I mean, you're like in the twilight zone. You know it's true, but the more you dig, the more you're like, I, I understand less. Um, and, I, and I started with this uh, poet, Nazim Hikmet, um, who's a Turkish poet, who was a Turkish poet, who was imprisoned actually for his radical beliefs in his poetry, so. Um, Ghazal to open cages. And this begins with a quote by him. We'll still live with the outside, with its people and animals and struggle and wind. Nazim Hikmet. If my trifling mouth might call you brother, might travel creaky, bitten black of it, the telephone line of a poem will show how. Relentless teacher, ghost I chose. No parent, no province, no poem can erase you. What fires afraid of its own glow? How? Beneath bloom, 
beneath wing, under a God-shucked sky. Your freedom is a fragrance even below how. Oh, I must close my eyes to say this, brother, but the breast, the heat, and long reign of a woman will find you no how. Blessed brain, harvest of the captive, makes a way out of none. When I say a universe thrums in here, do not go, how? If filth rises above the floorboards, if steel knows you like the pit knows the plum, then be the song, be the crow, be the how. How could I love you right but fasten no roses to your name, your spirit, your heart, afraid reed that knows how? Nazim, show us a room dying can't enter. Past grave and flesh, they imprisoned a poet. They stopped a river's flow. How? This poem was titled Huzzle 6. It was published in the December issue of the Massachusetts Review. Mouth full of raven's bones, eyes black beaks. On our exhausted bellies, we umbilicus to earth. 54 millimeter bullets light up our backs, exit our bellies. Pre-K, St. Michael's, Arizona. Nuns, black scapular and white cowl. Shunt milk blood prayers down constricted throats. Gurgling cramped bellies. Cienega Amarilla, St. Poverty, St. Piety rich with church flesh, give moral accoutrement and seed death daisy garlands with starving bellies. Tzitotso, pillows drool-stained, stuffed in cubbies, the body moldy bread. An aspirant summons his penis, Signum crucis across our bellies. My memory built against a hill, descending dark corridors. Dios no existe. Poetry of broken suns swallowed by a scoundrel. The ruins of our bellies. Shema to I am well. The mirror between us dismembers nostalgia. Dull green meadows, yellow, blossoms, blurring silent stalkers on their bellies. Thank you again, Bojan, for hosting us today and putting these poems into conversation with one another. Listeners, thank you for sharing your time with us as well. Come back in two weeks for an episode hosted by Rosa Alcala. We always welcome your reviews of the show, and we hope you'll share us with a friend. Thanks again for sharing your time with us. Poetry Centered is a project of the University of Arizona Poetry Center, home to a world-class library collection of more than 80,000 items related to contemporary poetry in English and English translation. 
Located on the campus of the University of Arizona in Tucson, the Poetry Center Library and buildings are housed on the indigenous homelands of the Tohono O'odham people. Poetry Centered is the work of Diana Marie Delgado, that's me, and Julie Swarstad Johnson, with support from Sarah Jemski. Explore VOCA, the Poetry Center's audiovisual archive online at voca.arizona.edu.